What is crackalacking, y'all? How are y'all doing tonight? Hopefully, y'all have got this far to realize that I am not Chase. All right, if you got that far, you're doing good because I'm not. My name is Thomas. I'm a student here at Louisiana Tech, sort of uh, pursuing a master's degree, all that kind of fun stuff. But I'm also the college intern and. As Chase is going off to Broken Bow, Oklahoma to get some away time with his lovely wife, Rachel, uh, I kind of get to step up and bring the word to y'all, which is something that I love to do. There's few things, actually nothing, that I love more in this life than Jesus Christ and talking about him. So super excited to get to do this. And um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of it. Just kidding, sermon didn't end there. But something else I really like about to listen to, to do, uh, and something that you can learn from me from is that I love Christian hip-hop music, okay? When I was in middle school and high school, all I would do was listen to all this rap music that was talking about killing people and doing drugs and having sex, and I wasn't, like, doing any of that. I'd just be driving to high school thinking about, like, my English homework that I had to do, but I was just, like, pretty consumed by this, like, terrible music, all right? And it took time. Uh, I came to know Jesus Christ and then my music chain, my music desires kind of started to shift. I found out that Christian hip, Christian hip hop was a thing. Started listening to that, and it was it was better. It was great to kind of have some wholesome music, some uh, God endearing language, just like pumped into my ears, so it could get in my mind and in my heart. One of my favorite Christian hip hop artists is Aha Gazelle. A little fun fact about Aha: he graduated from Grambling State, which is just right down the road. Uh, so that's pretty cool. And he has this song called Supreme. And in the lyric, in in the song, there's a lyric that says, I'm all about that action, like a movie scene. And I think it's clever. I think it's fun, you know, like about that action, the little thing that they do on the movie scenes. Uh, But I also just love saying that because like, it's just fun to say. Someone's like, hey dude, this is some of my roommate, Isaiah, back there, always kind of hits me with, or I hit him with it. It's like 11 o'clock. He's like, hey, you want to go get some canes? I'm like, dude, I'm about that action, bro. Or, or um, another instance, uh, someone's like, hey, man, tech basketball, it's coming up. How are you feeling about it? You going to be going to the games? I'm about that action, bro. Math test coming up. How, how are you feeling? I'm about that action. You know, it's just like exciting. It, it shows an excitement to get into it, an excitement to back it up. It's like, bro, you just have to like egg me on just a little bit, and I will go and drop like 18 bucks at Cane's. Like just, I just need this much inspiration. I will back it up. Don't test me. Um, And so it's kind of that excitement, you know, to back it up. Uh, I'm about that action. And today, as we're continuing our series in John, John writes to us and kind of gives us a little bit of a heartbeat, a little bit of a test here to see if we're really about that action of following Jesus Christ, if we're really, uh, how we're stacking up, if we're really following in Christ well. So we're going to be starting in 1 John chapter 2. Uh, verses 1 through 11, if y'all want to skip on over to there. If not, if you guys don't want to do that, uh, the, the words will be on the screen there. So let's go ahead and get into it. First uh, John 2, starting in verse 1, it says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 
Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his words, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. So there's three questions that you can kind of pull out from this text that John addresses. And we're going to be going over those today, just three, and then we'll get on out of here so y'all can study for those midterms that you're probably like procrastinating on or whatever. All right, so just three questions, and they are this, all right? First question is, who is Jesus? We're going to see what John's response to that is. The second one is, how are we sure that we know Jesus? And then the third one is, how do we follow Jesus? And we'll see what John has to say and uh, say about these, what his answers are. So first question, who is Jesus? We kind of see this in verses 1 and 2. It says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is pretty neat because not too often does an author of scripture just come straight out and say like, hey, bro, this is why I'm writing to you. This is why I decided to put down some words on a piece of paper, right? But John does this. He says, I'm writing to you so that you may not sin. And this is such an awesome thing because so often that's not our goal in life. Uh, I've, I've heard it told that um, like an example of a soldier is a great analogy for this. A soldier, when they're getting deployed into an active war zone, they're like, they're not setting goals in their mind saying, hey man, I think like my goal for this time serving my country is to get shot as little as possible. They're like, bro, I'm not trying to get shot, bro. I'm going to Afghanistan or Iraq with zero bullet holes in me. I'm trying to leave that way too, you know? Like their goal is not to get shot as little as possible, but to not freaking get shot, right? Like makes sense. And in the same way, we need to adopt that attitude here. Like through having the Holy Spirit, we can actively choose not to sin. Before that, we had no option but to sin. But now with Christ in us, we get to choose to not sin. So our goal shouldn't be like, hey, I'm going to just try to keep that sinning at a minimum. It's like, no, we should actively choose not to sin. And that's why John's writing to us here, uh, so that we can learn how we can live that out. Now, this is the good news too, right? Like, how many of us have sinned here before? Okay, I was, I was a little afraid. I see some people not raising hands. That's all right, though. That's all right. I'll move on. But if we do sin, we have some great news as well because we have Jesus, right? Our goal should be not to sin, but sometimes we mess up, and we do, and we have Jesus Christ for that. And that's when he moves on and says kind of who Jesus Christ is. And he uses a big word here that I don't just want to you know, one of those church words that people just throw around all the time. So I kind of want to define that. It's propitiation. He says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. And basically what that's saying is that Jesus paid the price that was required for our sins so that we could be made right with God. 
right? Jesus paid the price that our sins required so that we could be made right with God. That's, that's all that propitiation, not all that, you know, propitiation is an amazing thing that Jesus Christ did for us, but that's what it means. Um, and it also says that Jesus is an advocate to the Father, and this is cool. We all, I'm sure most of us have a grasp on what, like, being advocating for something is, but it's, it literally means to publicly recommend, and so I have this image of, like, the Father right here and Jesus right here and Thomas Schwarzenberg standing right here, and he, Jesus is like, I know Thomas has screwed up, done all this crap wrong, but he has actively chose to follow me, and my blood covers him now. He publicly does that for us. He publicly steps in front of us and says, hey, God, like, I recommend Thomas despite what he has done, and he does that for each and every one of you as well. Um, and so through looking at these two things, we kind of have our answer to what, who Jesus is. John says that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Right? So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? What, what does this matter? It means that we don't have to walk in fear. We don't have to be kind of looking over our shoulder wondering, hey, like, I've, I've messed up a couple of times. Like, is this next sin that I, like, just did, does that put me over the line with God? Does that, does that have God be like, all right, bro, like, that's enough. I'm done with that. Like, you just, you just lied for the final time ever. We're cutting ties. Like, we don't have to be afraid of that. Because Jesus' blood is sufficient for us. Jesus' sacrifice was great enough for any sin. There's no sin that will just put us over the edge with God where he's like, all right, buddy, I'm, I'm done with that. Right? So we can walk without fear, knowing that Jesus conquered death. And if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we also conquer death too. That we no longer have to be subject to sin, slaves to sin, but that we can actually choose not to sin. All right, so that's, that's kind of the gist there with, you know, who Jesus is. John says he's the propitiation. Like, walk freely, walk in the freedom that Christ provides you with. All right, second question. How are we sure that we know Jesus? All right, we see, um, I'm, sure, I'm sure plenty of you understand that there's a difference between knowing about something and knowing something. I know about Taylor Swift. All right, I've listened to her music. I would even go as far to say that I know about all her ex-boyfriends, all right? And I also know that, you know, Begin Again is probably the best song that she's ever written. But if Taylor Swift was sitting here in this room and I was like, oh, Taylor, like, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. She'd be like, who are you? Like, she, I, I know about her, but I do not know her. And that's kind of what all of Christianity hinges on, not knowing Taylor Swift, but knowing God. Um, as we see in Matthew 721. This is probably one of the most sobering passages in scripture. This is Jesus talking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Right? This is what all of it hinges on. It's not doing awesome, mighty works, but it's actually knowing Jesus and him knowing you. So it's, it's pretty important that we kind of get to the bottom of this question. How do we know uh, that we know Jesus? So let's, let's see what John has to say about it here. In verses 3 through 6, he says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which we walked. The clear way to be confident that we know him is by obedience, right? But pretty similar to that sin stuff that we keep bumping into, uh, we do not obey perfectly, right? But through the Holy Spirit, our attitude changes. If, if we have accepted Jesus Christ into our life and choose to live in a way that honors him, our attitude towards obedience to the Lord and our attitude towards sin changes. So something cool that I really think uh, that, that I love that John put here is in verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Right? By obeying God, by keeping his word, our love for God is perfected. Like, how, how awesome is that? We could, you know, be just so stuck. We could be like, dude, there's not anything in me right now that wants to obey God. Like, I am desiring sin so bad, but I choose to obey God, not because I feel like it, but because I know the things that God says. So I choose to obey God. In that, we grow to love him more. And so then we kind of move a little over here, and we're like, we, we continue to grow, and we're like, you know what? It's a little bit easier to choose not to sin because I've grown to love God a little bit more, and we kind of just keep progressing in this way until we're all the way over here, and we're like, dude, I don't even want that stuff anymore. Like, I've grown to love God so much, and that comes through obedience. Our love for God grows through obedience. And that's something that's so awesome because obedience is a choice. And we'll kind of talk more about choices a little bit later, but it's, uh, it's pretty amazing that we can grow to love God um, because we get to choose that. Um, and lastly, in these verses here, it says that we... we uh, sorry, I just lost my place. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, right? We be, our actions should begin to emulate Jesus Christ's actions, right? God, so, so many people nowadays are co- worried about, hey, bro, that dude's copying my wave, or like, hey, he's, he's cramping my style or whatever, but like God is the exact opposite. He's like, I want you guys to look more like me because the ways that I am are literally the best thing for you, right? He doesn't say, hey, you should only like marry one person, have sex with one person because he's a stickler and doesn't want us to have fun. He knows that that's the way that, you know, he protects us, and that's the best life lived. He, he's not saying, hey, be generous with your money because, like, I just don't want you to have any money. He says, be generous with your money so that you can, you know, have the, just understand how much you can rely on the Lord and how great it feels to give to others. Like, that, that is why he made us he made humans. He knows the best way for humans to function. And that's why, you know, he wants us to copy him, to mimic him. He's not, you know, upset that we're trying to imitate him or that we don't imitate him perfectly. He delights in that, and he wants that. So the answer to this question of how do we know if we know God is through our actions and our convictions, all right? Um, do, are any of you familiar with David Guzik? All right. He, he writes a commentary, Enduring Word, uh, and he is a stud. I've never met the dude. I would love to meet him, but, you know, if you ever are confused on Scripture, go to Enduring Word. He usually has some pretty good stuff to say, uh, very, like, spirit-filled stuff. But he gives us a good list to do a heart check with, a good list of, like, hey, once you're saved, what should your relationship to sin look like? And so there's a few bullet points here. I'll repeat them twice because I think they're pretty 
pretty important, pretty good, uh, but won't spend too, too much time on it. The first point is this. A Christian no longer loves sin as he once did. A Christian no longer loves sin as he once did. A Christian no longer brags about his sin as he once did. A Christian no longer brags about his sin as he once did. A Christian no longer plans to sin as he once did. A Christian no longer plans to sin as he once did. A Christian no longer fondly remembers his sin as he once did. A Christian no longer fondly remembers his sin as he once did. A Christian never fully enjoys his sin as he once did. A Christian never fully enjoys his sin as he once did. And lastly, a Christian no longer is comfortable in habitual sin as he once was. A Christian is no longer comfortable in habitual sin as he once was, right? All of these things show a change in your heart towards sin, right? And the amazing thing about this is you can experience this even when you do fall short, right? Even when you do sin and don't meet the mark that God has put in front of us, we still get to experience like, man, my relationship to sin is changing because my love for the Lord is growing. Uh, an example of this in my life was back in high school, I was, I was a pothead. I really liked to smoke. It was something that I just really enjoyed a whole lot. I had the hair that went along with it. Like, it was just, it was a good time, good time. Um, and I was not walking with the Lord at all. And then I came to college met Jesus Christ, and just things started changing for me. My, my desires were completely different, right? And it wasn't like I was just, like, tiptoeing around this Jesus Christ thing. Like, I jumped pretty head in. Like, I wanted to live a life that honored him. Come spring break of my freshman year, literally the last day of spring break, I was going to hop into an airplane the following morning to fly down to Louisiana uh, for spring quarter. My friend hits me up, and he's like, hey, Thomas, I was like, yeah, what's up? And he's like, dude, you should come over and hang out. I was like, all right, great. Like, I haven't seen you in a bit. I'd love to. Uh, and so I get there, and then I hop in the car, and he swings by like a Red Robin parking lot, and we meet up with some other dude. And I'm like, oh, what's happening here? And he's like, oh, we're just buying some pop brownies, bro. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> I don't really do that stuff anymore, but okay. Uh, and he's like, all right, yeah, whatever. We go back to his house, and he just starts laying it on me. He's like, dude. For, for old times, Thomas, just like get, just get smacked with us, bro. Like just get high, bro. And I was like, no, no, no. But eventually he just kept asking and asking. And I was like, you know what? I do remember that stuff was pretty fun. And like, I really enjoyed it. Like, sure. Like, why the frick not? Like, let's go ahead. Like, so I ate half a pot brownie and I've always been a lightweight. So I just got super duper high. Um, and I was sitting there on the couch just how, how, how it goes sometimes. And I was like, dude, this stuff is not at all like I remembered it. I just was sitting there. And I was like, this is the stuff that I would fiend for, that I would lie and steal and cheat to like get around my parents so that I could have. And I was sitting here just like, this stuff is empty. This stuff does not delight me as much as knowing Jesus has. Like, and the thing that sucked was, like, I want to stop this right now, but it's not like you can just, like, unhigh yourself. So I just had to sit there. I literally couldn't sleep well the whole plane ride back. I was just, like, miserable at the sin that I freely walked into, that I freely chose, and that I just, like, completely demolished uh, my witness to, like, two close friends of mine. But, like, the, I don't, I don't, if I could change that, I think I would. But the awesome thing about it is, like, 
dude, from experience that, from falling into that sin, I'm like, dude, I have changed. I do not want sin anymore. Like, I don't, that doesn't desire, like, that is not desire in my heart anymore. Like, God has taken what I want and completely spun it around, and I want him more. And through falling short in that regard, I get to see that. I get to see how God has taken my heart and continued to transform it and mold it into me. And that should be our relationship with sin across the board, right? The things that we used to do don't delight us like they used to before we knew Jesus, right? So that's a way that we can know that we know Jesus is by our convictions and our actions, all right? So first question was, who is Jesus? John said the propitiation for our sins. Second question, how are we sure that we know Jesus? By our actions and our convictions. And the third question is, how do we follow Jesus, right? So John says that our actions are great indicators of our faith. He then gives us a practical way to live it out. He's like, all right, so I said that we ought to walk in the way in which Jesus walked. Here's a way that Jesus walked so that you can then emulate it, right? So he speaks on this in verses 7 through 11, which reads, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now this is the part, I don't know if y'all remember from last week, but Chase is like, yeah, dude, John sometimes just like writes a little crazy and hard to follow. I feel like verses seven and eight are just tough to follow a little bit. It might also be like my peanut-sized brain, but uh, basically what verses seven and eight are saying is like, hey, this commandment, this should not be new to y'all right? This commandment to love one another, this should not be new, because this, the body of believers that John is writing to, like, they've already been told, like, hey, you got to love Jesus. You got to walk in the way in which he walked, and you have to love others, right? So this is not new to the, to this body of believers, but it is new to the world, right? The love that Christ had for the world was unprecedented. I feel like we all know what that word is now because of COVID, right? But it was just like, it was unlike anything else that the world had experienced. The people who hung him on the cross, he prayed that the Lord would forgive them. The people who mocked him and scorned him, he, he loved. He loved the least of these. The people that no one else really wanted to be around, he chose to be around them, right? This is love that is unlike anything that that world had seen. And honestly, if you were to love like Jesus loved right here and right now, it's still a new love. People would be like, what are you doing? It is unlike what, what the world is used to. It is not how the world functions. It is new to the world still. So that's, that's all that verses 7 and 8 uh, is really hitting at there. Also, later on in the passage, we see that our love is an indicator of our faith. And even more than that, we truly cannot have faith without love for others, right? It, it says it so plainly. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Right? So the answer to this question, how do we follow Jesus? It's to love others. Jesus said to himself in John 13, 35, 
He says, starting in 34, it says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus says the way that we are going to be known is by how we love each other and how we love those who don't love us, right? So it's not possible for us to truly be faithful believers if we don't have love for one another. Obviously, love and hate are so opposite, right? Like, they literally are opposites of each other. But we, we see that hate blinds where, where love leads, right? Love leads you to other people. Hate kind of just is when you put on the blinders and all you're focused on is like trying to <laughs> see one person fail or see one person be miserable. It's also addictive, right? I'm sure if any of you have been in a bitter season in your life or a hateful season in your life, um, it's just like addictive. Uh, you just keep going back to it. You're like, man, how much I want to see this person fail. You get obsessed with that. I went through a season in high school where I had like some serious hate towards one person and it, I just missed out on so much because I was just so focused on how much I hated this one individual, on how much I want to see this one individual fail and things go wrong in that person's life. I was just completely blind to everything else. This, this is a, a cliche phrase, but it just hits home. It's like bitterness, hate, it's like drinking poison and then hoping that the other person gets sick, right? Whereas love, the love that Jesus Christ provides, it is freeing and it is healing. And, and that's what we ought to strive for because there is no way for us to have both at once, right? Hate is so selfish. It's all about, man, someone did me wrong. Let me try to get back at them where love is purely selfless. And we see that ultimately with Jesus going to the cross. But this is, this is the good news, right? We don't need to be swayed to love. We don't need some big emotional breakthrough for us to be like, you know what, I think I can love people now. Or we don't need to chalk it up to just being a, a loving person on our own. Like, oh, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a loving person. Or I'm not a loving person, so I just can't do that. The awesome thing is that love is a choice, right? You don't have to be some expert lover to choose to be patient to choose to be kind, to choose not to envy, to choose not to boast, to choose not to hold wrongs against others. These are all choices that we can actively make so that we can love one another, right? Jesus, and Jesus doesn't hit us with the, oh, you're not loving, that's tough. Like, I wish that you could just like, he, he would never expect something out of us that we weren't able to do, right? Love is possible through the Spirit, um, which, which he gives us that. And so he calls us to be loving, to be patient, to be kind, to put, your, put them before yourself. And I think this is just so awesome because as, yes, we should choose to love others, we ultimately see that in the example that Christ put before us. Christ chose to love us. At our very, very best, we hated him, we rebelled against him, at every single decision, we chose to go the opposite way at our very best. And he said, you know what? I still love you. I still choose to, to put your needs before my own. I still choose to go to the cross for your name's sake. I still choose to take the sins that you have on your shoulder and put them on my own. 
because I choose to love you. Not because of anything that you did. Not because you are some hotshot who has a great GPA and is super athletic or anything like that. But because of who I am. Because that I love you. Right? And through that, we get to experience um, the full, fullness of life. Something that only Christ really should have been able to experience, right? He lived the perfect life. He never once fell short like we did. Never told a lie, never stole, never cheated, never was wrathful, uh, undeservingly wrathful, you know? Like, he could have been like, hey, I just, you know, I just did this whole human thing, and I did it perfectly. I don't know what y'all have been struggling with, but, like, that's tough for y'all. I did it right. I, can, I get to go to heaven. I earned it. I get to go die and then uh, rise up and actually get to go to heaven's gates. I earned that by living a perfect life. He could have said that to us and we'd just be like, oh, well, frick, like (laughs) we're stuck now. But instead of that, that life that he earned, he earned a spot in heaven. He decided to swap places with us where all that we ever did was sin and go against him. Jesus said, you know what? The work that I have done, I give to you and I will take on that sin and shame and go, <laughs> go to the cross and die on the cross so that you can be redeemed with the Father, so that your relationship with the Father can be restored. He chose to do that. Nothing that we earned, but he actively chose that. And, and he desires it, right? This, this opportunity is laid right out in front of us, and he desires you to reach out and say, you know what? I think I want take hold of that promise that you've set before me. I think I want to take hold of this eternal life, of this, you know, abundant life that you offer me, and walk in it. I think I want to decide to follow Jesus. This is offered to all of us, but the question is, do you actually desire that? Do you want to take a step towards that direction of following Jesus Christ? John 10.10 says, the thief, talking about Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came not Thomas Schwarzenberg, Jesus Christ, but I came to give you life and life abundantly. And that's only, like, Jesus wants to give us, wants to give us that. But will we let him? That's the question that we all need to answer with, answer by the end of, by the end of our lifetime. Do we actually want that? Do we want to walk in that abundant life that Jesus Christ offers us? So as, as we're kind of heading into this time of uh, reflection. 